My name is Neil, I'm married to the wonderful Kate. For those of you who are here on Easter Sunday, we had a fantastic morning, baptised 12 people. It was just, just a great celebration. You know, Charlie did a great job, as always, and um, he started with a quiz. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I, did, I, I, lost, I, didn't, I didn't answer one single question right. I was, gar- I was determined to win the quiz, but I failed miserably. I didn't get one question right. Um, so it's not quite in the same vein, and there are no prizes. I know, because I'm just hopeless. Um, but uh, just to get you thinking, um, just to see if you're awake, how many, how many hours in a day? Great, it's not, it's not a trick question. <laughs> well done. And um, just, I've just been thinking about how we might actually break down you know, your average day. How might you break down your average day if you were to think about it? You know, so, for example, how long do you think on average people sleep for? You know, not obviously counting parents of young children or students um, who throw things off completely off kilter. How long do you reckon the average person sleeps for? I mean, I don't know why I'm even asking you, because, like, there is an answer, and it's the right answer. <laughs> eight hours, right? Like, um, eight hours is pretty much the average, kind of seven and a half, whatever. But let's just say eight hours. Um, did that come up? Yeah, eight hours sleep. Brilliant. Look at that. Thanks to James Wake for this beautiful PowerPoint. Um, what else might we do in that day? What about, uh, what about work? What about our jobs? How long do you reckon the average working day is? Robert isn't allowed to answer this question. 14 hours. Um, in London, actually, it's uh, 7.64 hours. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to get a new job. Um, but, but for ease, let's just make it eight hours, shall we? Because um, uh, I just need to make it easy. Um, and then, you know, most of us living in London, uh, we need to, to get to and from work. So there's a commute in there. How long do you reckon the average commute is in London? Five hours. <laughs> the, average, the average commute in London is 74 minutes. One hour and 14 minutes. So there's at least an hour in there. Right, straight away. Um, what else might we do during the course of the day? Who? I, ju- I, I couldn't find out. I reckon it must be times two, but it, it must be. But I thought average, so I just underplayed it. Average, no, the average of 74 minutes, I think, is one way. But just for ease, I said, let's make it an hour, because some of us don't have a commute at all. Although, to be fair, to be fair... <laughs> To be fair, it takes me to get from East Sheen to Wimbledon Village on the bus, uh, like, just under an hour, right? If I'm on the bus, which I am frequently these days. Anyway, what else might we do during the course of the day? Some chores, maybe, you know, like um, shopping, cooking, washing, gardening, paying bills, all those sorts of things. Do we do those in the midst of our day? Yeah, a couple of hours maybe, maybe offset some of the commutes. Maybe you do your bills, pay your bills while you're on the train. I don't know. Uh, what about physical activity? Then you can interpret physical activity however you like. Um, how long do you spend doing something physical in the course of your uh, day-to-day? Uh, walking, jogging, running at the gym, whatever. <laughs> Shall we say an hour? <laughs> okay, so what's that? So far, 
How many hours? What? I've come on, wake up. There should be 20 hours, right? So 20 hours already, which leaves us how long? Well done. Uh, but just in case you're uh, not sure what to do with that spare time, sadly that spare time has already been uh, taken, it's already been um, spent. According to studies, on average in the UK, we watch over four hours of TV on a daily basis. That's like Netflix, YouTube, whatever, right? Um, just in case you're not sure, if you believe me, just, just to add something in that I haven't added in, uh, recently a study said that the average person in the UK spends 24 hours per week on their phone. There's a little, little device, what's that thing? Is it screen time? Screen time. Huh? That's work. In some people's cases, it's work. In many people's cases, it really isn't work. But just think about some of those things, okay? So here we've got all of these things. Now, this is all very flexible, and it will be different for all sorts of different people. It just helps give us an idea of how our days are being spent. So if you just humor me for a while, and let's just for a second, let's just call your job, uh, let's just call your exercise regime, your commute, your chores, let's just call all of that work, okay? That's all the green stuff on that little pie chart. By that definition, half of our days are spent working. It's quite, it's quite a lot. Uh, sociologists show that when you factor in weekends, holidays, retirement, etc., the average person spends at least a third of their lifetime working. Which is why given the fact that we spend so much of our lives doing it over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about work. And you'll be very glad to hear, rather than hearing from me, we've got four rather splendid speakers lined up, and they're going to talk both from the scriptures and from their experiences on the subject of work. Because the reality is that however we break up our days, the truth of the matter is that work is taking up the lion's share of our lives. And so we really ought to be talking about it because Jesus must have something he wants to say about it. Now, to some people, work is um, it's a bit of a curse. You know, if you think about your job, um, you might be here this morning and you're like, I hate my job. And um, you're already dreading tomorrow morning. Uh, and then once your week starts, you're kind of already looking forward to I discovered this thing like a couple of weeks ago, like hump day. You all know about that. Yeah, I thought it meant something else. But like, uh, hump day apparently is Wednesday. Maybe it's because I work a six-day week, so I don't really think about it like that. I know. As opposed to the one day a week you will think I work. Um, the, uh, yeah, hump day apparently is like Wednesday, you know, and it's like you kind of up to Wednesday and then breathe a sigh of relief as you edge into the weekend. You know, but you know, you're kind of not really looking forward to work, you're not looking forward to going to do your job, and you're just looking forward to the weekend, counting down the hours. So for some of us, work is a curse. To others, work has become something of a god. You know, where work, the jobs that we do, really are places where we uh, find meaning. Work is the place where very much of our sense of identity of who we are um, comes from our jobs. We tie our sense of self-worth to um, our jobs and our work, and we're proud when people say, what do you do? We're very proud to say, this is what I do. 
Um, actually, work has become the place where you worship. Um, and by that, what I mean is that work has become the place where you make the most sacrifices. So it's the place where you sacrifice your time. It's the place where you sacrifice your energy. It's the place where you've sacrificed your health, you know, both physical and emotional. It's the place where you are sacrificing uh, your relationships, if you're honest, with your children maybe, or with your spouse. All of these things are getting laid on the altar of work. You know, we may think that um, what we do is a means to an end, and we're just going to put in the hours, and we're going to make all of these sacrifices because it will all pay off in the end, and that's actually not a very biblical concept of work at all. The truth is um, that when we come to the end, whatever that means, uh, we come to our early retirement or whatever it is, our, our hopes for a long and happy and lazy future, uh, traveling the world and fulfilling all those long hoped-for um, dreams and ambitions, um, we discover that actually uh, all too often they're rarely realized because already too far, too big a price has already been paid. So for some, work is a curse. For some, uh, work has become a god. The Bible tells us a different story. Uh, right, go back to, right to the very beginning, very first verse in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning, you should know this, God created the heavens and the earth. This is our, this is our very first glimpse opening gambit, very first glimpse of uh, God and what he's doing. And what is he doing when we meet him, when we encounter God for the very first time? God is at work. God is creating. God is designing. God is engineering. God is inventing. He's sculpting. He's shaping and he's forming and creating the world. So this idea, this first image that we get of God is God is a worker. God is creating. God is working. And uh, having created the sun and the moon and the stars, the plants and the trees, you see all of that in Genesis 1, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, the animals of every kind, uh, God gets, sets about creating humankind. Have a look at verse 26. He says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move on the ground. See what it's saying? God's saying, let's make human beings in our image. And, and the purpose, the why, is so that they may rule. And this word rule, what it means is it means to look after. It means to have dominion. It's actually the language of like royalty. It's regal language. We were created. We were designed to be the kings and the queens of this world that God has created, ruling and reigning over the earth. And then it goes on in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And then in verse 28, it says this. God, what God does is he blesses his creation. And what's this blessing that God blesses mankind with? It says this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. First of all, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so there's this blessing. This is pre-fall, okay? There's this blessing from God to be fruitful and increase in number. And that's a, that's a whole other sermon. And then God blesses them and says, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, blah, blah, blah. Rule over, take care of. 
And this blessing that God gives is to rule and to reign. This blessing that God gives is to work. And then turn over to chapter 2, verse 15. What happens now is God is, uh, puts man, uh, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and he says he took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So this first glimpse that we have of God at the beginning, we see God creating, we see God at work, creating the heavens and the earth. And then this first glimpse that we have of mankind, of humanity, certainly the first glimpse that we have that makes it past the senses, is mankind, Adam and Eve, working. Working and taking care of the garden. And what that basically means, it's not, don't think of Adam and Eve, you know, just tending their allotment one Sunday afternoon, you know, growing radishes. It's much broader than that. This working and taking care is all about uh, creating a space for humans to flourish in God's presence, what the Bible calls shalom. And so you see, we were made to work. It's in our bones, it's in our DNA, it's central to our humanity. You know, a lot of people say, you know, who you are matters. You know, and that's true. Who you are matters. But what you do, according to the Bible, matters a lot too. We were made to work. Um, contrary to what even a lot of Christians believe, work is not the curse. Work was one of the very first blessings of God uh, to humanity. God blessed them and set them to work, to rule and to reign and to subdue and to take care. God set them to um, bring the shalom of the kingdom. So work is a blessing and not a curse. Now, after the fall, sin basically enters the picture and things get a lot more tricky, to say the least. Have a look at Genesis chapter 3. Um, this is verse 17. Cursed, this is now because sin's entered the ground, they've rebelled against God. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you'll return. Great. We're like, oh, awesome. That's fantastic. So because of their rebellion against God, because of their refusal to believe in God's goodness, work now, which was a blessing, suddenly gets hard. Like right now. Like this feels like hard work. The blessing was that work would reflect the glory of God and extend God's kingdom. The curse is now that work that was the blessing is now going to get hard. It's going to be um, difficult. It means blisters and sores, and I need a holiday, and it's like painful toil. And what's happened is the blessing has now been cursed, and now everything has been broken by sin, and because it's been broken by sin, it all needs to be redeemed, it all needs to be restored, it all needs to be saved. And that means the relationship between God and mankind, men and women, the relationship that we have with ourselves, the relationship that we have with one another, and the relationship that we have with the earth. It all needs to be restored. It all needs to be redeemed so that it can go back to God's original intention and design. And that's why Jesus comes. Jesus comes to save. He comes as a human being. We talked about this in one, when we looked at 1 Corinthians in the run-up to Easter. He comes to do what Adam was supposed to do, to rule and to reign and to put things back in order as God had originally intended. And so work isn't all bad. It's, it's part of God's original blessing 
and designed for us. It's much harder than it was ever intended to be as a result of the fall, but it's a fundamental part of who we are as human beings. Fast forward now to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 2, and what we see here in Ephesians chapter 2 is Paul, the apostle, alluding back to and, and retelling, if you like, the Genesis story that we've just looked at. And he's looking at the interplay between salvation and work in the light of Christ's redemptive work. And in verse 28 on chapter 2, we've got this well-known verse, and it says this, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, I think we sang it this morning. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And we're kind of familiar with that, and we often leave it there. We often finish it there. But actually, Paul goes on in verse 10, and the verses never really existed in the first place, but it's really important because he says in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And this is incredible. What Paul's doing here is he's retelling the Genesis story. and He's saying, look, listen up, pay attention. Jesus has saved us, yes. And he saved us to put us back into right relationship with the creator, absolutely, and to put us back to work, to put us back to do the works and to do the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So, what might all of this work look like? Um, according to John Stott, uh, he wrote this. He said this about this kind of good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. He said this, Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both. Work is the expenditure of energy in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. That's how he's describing work. Uh, Frederick Buchner, um, theologian, describes work as the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Uh, Dorothy says, uh, puts it like this, work should in fact be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself and that man, made in women, made in God's image, should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well, a thing that is well worth doing. And the word used by theologians to describe this idea that there's, there are good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, the word used by theologians over the years is vocation. And vocation conjures up all sorts of different things to many of us, but I think it's a concept that we need to recapture and reframe. Down through the ages, down through church history, theologians have tended to distinguish between occupation on the one hand and vocation on the other where occupation is sort of what we do to make a living you know it's your job it's what you do to sort of make ends meet and put food on the table and pay the bills and stuff you know you wake up and you go to work and you may love your job and you may hate your job hopefully not uh, but that's really occupation a vocation, on the other hand, and the idea really is, is that um, the vocation and occupation sort of overlap, and that your, um, your vocation includes your occupation, includes your job. That's the hope, that's the dream, right? But it's not always the case. But a vocation is a calling from God. And so this idea of vocation and calling, these things are synonymous. And at its heart, um, according to this thing by Stott, and according to the scriptures, 
A vocation is work that fits you, it's work that helps others, and it's work that glorifies God. Okay? It's definitely work. It's definitely going to take energy. It's definitely going to expend uh, effort and all of that kind of stuff. But it's work that fits you. It, it suits you. That's the first thing. It, it fits you. It suits you. The, you. You kind of enjoy it. You know, it's not heaven on earth by any means. There are thistles and there are thorns. There's not a little bit of sweat and toil, but you enjoy it. So I was talking to somebody this morning who just started a new job, and you got that real sense that it's hard work. It's like, oh gosh, this is tiring, but it feels right. It feels like it fits was kind of what they were saying. It, what you're doing, it, it makes sense. It fits with your personality, with, with you know, what you're good at, um, what you're bad at. Uh, it, it sort of takes all of your talents and your gifts into account. It, it sort of fits. It's like, yeah, this kind of overall, this kind of fits. This, this is okay. There should be moments, if it fits, when we're working, where we feel, do you know what? I, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually pretty good at this. I can, I can do this. You know, this is okay. Like, I, I'm actually... I'm actually yeah, I can do this. Not in an arrogant way. But, uh, yeah, I think I was kind of made for this. It fits. Yeah, it's hard work. Yes, I have to get up early. I have to work long hours. It's not all plain sailing. But overall, yeah, I was made for this. Work should be something that fits us. Second thing is work should be something that serves others. Work should be in the service of others. Work is intended to create shalom. Work is supposed to create a world where humans can thrive and where humans can live in God's presence. And like that's incredibly broad. That's really, really broad. We don't all have to be um, you know, clergy or lawyers or doctors, you know, all of which are very good things. But you could be working anywhere, doing all manner of things, whereby you're helping create a world where humans can thrive. So our work should be work that serves other people. The third thing is that work, our work should glorify God. Our work should be reshaping the world um, in, in lots of different ways. Because you see, when the world functions as God intended, what happens is, you know, you're out and you're just like eating amazing food, you know, or, or you see some incredible architecture or a piece of art or um, you watch a performance or you listen to music or you watch a great movie or, or you see an act of justice being carried out or you see the vulnerable protected or the sick being ministered to or you see technology saving lives or whatever it may be, you look at that thing and you feel, we feel this kind of resonance with, yes, that's right. That's good. That's how this is supposed to be. That's how things are supposed to look. That's right. That's good. That's in line with the kingdom. That's what food is supposed to taste like. That's an awesome glass of wine. Someone's put a lot of effort into that. That piece of music's incredible. That thing looks amazing. And with, for those with the eyes to see, who gets the glory in those moments? God should get the glory. When we see an incredible piece of architecture, it's like, wow, look at cathedrals. You know, look at the Notre Dame. It's like these things lift our eyes and our attention up beyond ourselves. And God gets all the glory. Uh, vocation should be something that fits you. It should be something that helps others. And it should be something that glorifies God. Now, as I said, your vocation isn't always necessarily the exact same thing as your job. Okay, um, the hope and the prayer is that those two things 
overlap, vocation and occupation, but it's not always the case. Um, if you're a parent who's at any point in your life stayed at home to look after your children, that's an obvious one. You know, if you're a parent, you, you stay at home to raise your kids, um, how do you feel or how did you feel when someone says, and, um, and do you have a job? Like, did you ever feel like punching them, going, yes, I have a job. It's just that no one pays me for it. But trust me, it's a job. It's a damn sight harder than yours, lightweight. Yes, I've got a job, and I've actually got one of the most important jobs in the world. You know, it's one that takes courage and strength and tenacity and diplomacy and wisdom and creativity. That sounds like work to me. That's good work. That's what we're describing here in terms of it fits, it blesses and serves others, and it glorifies God. Um, students, this is going to sound strange, but students are another one. You know, studying, that is your vocation right now. That is your calling from God. Your vocation, your calling is learning. And last time I checked, you weren't getting paid for it. Uh, so it's not your occupation. But you need to see this, if you're a student, or if you're studying, as your calling from God. See studying as your vocation. It's your calling. It's your work. Put everything that you have into it because you're not studying just to get a degree. You're not studying just to get a university experience. You're studying so that you can learn how to create shalom in the world. Now, um, the problem when we talk about calling, when we talk about vocation, is that the, as soon as we use that language, a whole bunch of us, what we do is we, we reduce the field of play. We, we shrink it and we say, well, calling, I know about calling, I know about vocation, but that's what God does for like all the spiritual stuff. That's the spiritual thing over there, isn't it? You know, this strange, sacred and secular thing that we've imagined that doesn't exist, uh, whatever all of that is. You know, so yes, I know about calling, but God calls people like, like me, you know, into churches. You get called to do this, this kind of thing, right? They're, they're, they're called. You know, God doesn't call people like, I don't know, to work in a bank, does he? You know, God calls pastors and missionaries, but he doesn't call people to be like administrators or office managers or landscape gardeners, does he? Yes, he does. Absolutely, he flipping does. Um, God does call people to be pastors, at least I hope he does, right? But God calls people to all kinds of vocations and callings. Now, for the vast majority of you, your calling, your vocation is not in here, whatever this is, you know, this thing called the church, right? And um, if that's true, you should perhaps count yourself lucky. The truth is that for 99.999 or whatever percent of us, our calling has nothing to do with the church, whatever that is, right? Um, the church's involvement in our, our calling and our vocation is that the church is here to love you and serve you and equip you and encourage you and empower you and literally send you out the door so that you can go and be and do your calling. Most of your callings, most of our callings happen outside this place, the church. You know, remember what Jesus said about being salt and light. We know it's about being spread all over the place, shining out all over the city. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, you're called to be, um, I don't know, mechanics and lawyers and shop assistants and teachers and medics and musicians and stay-at-home parents and paramedics and artists and software geeks and lobbyists and 
personal trainers and plumbers and dancers and workers and electricians and administrators and painters and managers and decorators and builders and designers and barristers and window cleaners. Some of you are called to make lots of money, which is great. Go and make lots of money. It's not making money that's a bad thing. It's what you do with the money that you make that matters. Let that be your vocation. If that's what God's called you to, fantastic. I have no clue what God's calling on your life is. But I know that God calls people to all kinds of good works. Works that fit us, work that serve others, and work that glorifies God. Our job is to uh, go out and find the, the good works that God has waiting for us. The good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do and see what Jesus wants to do in and through all. In uh, John chapter 21, at the end, uh, after the resurrection, is that scene where um, the, the disciples, after the Jesus' resurrection, have a look at it as your homework, um, the, the disciples go back to work. They go back to fishing. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and they go back to work. But work for them will never be the same again. And um, you see in that section of John chapter 21 where there's, they have this miraculous catch of fish. And what's happened is after the resurrection, their ordinary work has turned into something extraordinary through the resurrection of Christ. And so over the next few weeks, because this is important, we need to talk about this more than we do. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how our work however you describe that and however you define that, whether that's in an office, a studio, or at home, the ways in which our work is radically transformed by the resurrection of Christ. Just to finish, just what I'd like you to do, I'd like us all to do, is to take some time this week to reflect on your work. Like, however you define that, I'm not going to be prescriptive, right? However you define what work is, whether you think about that as your job or your occupation or your vocation or you include your recreation, your physical activity, your chores, whatever, however it is that you describe it. Um, ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit and you, is, has, you, has your work become a curse? So whatever it is that you describe as well, like, has it become a bit of a curse? Is it just like, I don't, I, I, this is just, I, I don't want to do this. This is hell on earth. I, I'm just not looking forward to it. It doesn't, it doesn't I'm not fulfilled. You know, it doesn't feel like it fits. Um, it doesn't serve anybody else, apart from maybe a couple of people to make, them, to make them richer. But it has no point beyond that. It doesn't feel like it glorifies God. Like, has it become a bit of a curse? And, and if that's the case, like, what is that about? And what might be God inviting you into? Uh, a second question, good for us to ask from time to time, is um, has your work become a God? Are you sacrificing things on the altar of your work that perhaps you might not want to be? Is your time, the time that you're spending at work, however you're describing it and defining it, is your time at work too much? Is it, is it detrimental? Is it damaging to your relationships, to your marriage, to your relationship with your kids? to other stuff that God might be calling you to? And are you putting in all those hours? Are you putting in all that effort just because you're hoping that one day uh, you'll be able to kind of just kick back and relax and sail the seven seas on a sloop? So has your work become a God? And if that's the case, what might the Holy Spirit be inviting you to do to change that? 
And then what I'd like us to do is just take some time to think about how we're spending so much of our time and, and whether what we're doing, does it feel like it fits? Does it feel like it fits? Does, can we, it's like, yeah, I know this. I enjoy this. I enjoy it. I, I come alive. I feel fulfilled. You know, am I any good at it? Like, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like I am. I'm pretty good. Um, is it fulfilling? Does it fit? And then ask, you know, okay, well, is it, is it work that serves others? Um, how am I seeing the kingdom of God manif- made manifest through my work? And I don't just mean, you know, praying for somebody at the water cooler and asking them to be healed, or, you know, I've got to lead my colleague to Jesus 11 years ago, right? That, that's all great. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the nature of your work. How are you seeing the kingdom of God extended? Um, reflected, even in some small way? Are other people blessed as a result of what you do and the way that you do it? Um, And then finally, does your work glorify God? Um, Does what you do, is what you're doing helping people to see um, God's presence and God's beauty? That may not be articulated in the narrowest definition of, you know, God is here, but like, are they able to see the values of the kingdom? Are they able to see the, the personality of who God is in and through what we're doing? Okay? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking into this and digging into this a, a lot more. Um, we'd be hearing, as I said, from four amazing speakers. We'd just be looking at the scriptures and also sharing from their own experiences about what Jesus is doing in and through their uh, work. Okay? So this is an important part of how we're spending most of our lives, and so we want to see what Jesus and the Holy Spirit want to do in and through us. Does that make sense? Very good. Why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another.